0: Brick and Mortar Reporter Podcast, episode number 24.
1: Welcome to the Brick and Mortar Reporter Podcast,
0: where we show you how to build your business brick by brick. Put on your hard hat and grab your tool belt because you are about to enter the construction zone. And now, here's your host, Christy Hostler. Hi there, localists. Welcome to the Brick and Mortar Reporter Podcast. My name is Christy Hostler, and I'm your host today. And today, I've got a unique guest with us because she is a female that is thriving in a very male-dominated market. Her name is Ann Dages-Nutt, and she's the third-generation owner of Dages Paint Company in Louisville, Kentucky. Now, Dages Paint Company has been in business since 1930. And Anne has agreed to come on and share her, her unique journey as now the third generation owner of the Dages Paint Company. So she has an interesting perspective working and being right alongside all men most of the time in her market. So we're thrilled to have Anne here today and we're excited to hear your story. Uh, welcome, Anne, to the podcast.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Now, Anne, to get us started, we always like to go a little bit deeper into your own personal and professional history, and I know you have, as a businesswoman, you have a lot going on right now, but can you take us back a little bit prior to where you are right now and kind of give us some info, anything personally or professionally that'll help us get to know you a little better?
1: Well, I've always worked, um, even after, well, in college, I worked for entrepreneurs, so I had never gone to the big corporate environment. Um, when I was in college, I interned with a uh, for the corporate office of a of a franchise, of uh-huh. an ice cream yogurt franchise. Um, but they were a local startup company here in Louisville, and I interned oh, okay. them, uh, with them when I was in college. And then that was my first job after school. Um, so I've always worked with smaller local companies and. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew that was something that I was always interested in. I never had any desire to go toward the big corporate environment.
0: So you kind of stayed stayed with the small local. Um, Do you think that was because of like your family influence with seeing the business and the, the day-to-day ups and downs and that sort of thing? I think
1: it was. And it was always, um, it was always exciting to me. And I loved the fact that um, even right out of college, I was able to make decisions and um, able to have the flexibility, and it was always something different every day. And yeah. it was always just such an exciting environment to be in. And when I graduated from college, my dad was in need of a secretary for the business, but um, I, didn't, I didn't want to do that. So I worked on my own for about five years, um, and then my second job was with another franchise Mm -hmm. Um, On a larger scale, I went to work for Subway's corporate office. Oh, yeah. I worked hand-in-hand with the franchisees. So um, I worked with the individual business owners themselves and got to see what it was like to run your own business. Mm -hmm. um, I worked with them when they started, when they first bought into Subway. So I would help them get their stores open and help them train and um, help do kind of consulting along the way,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um, it was a lot of travel, And but it was at that point that I said, well, I want to have my own business,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um, at the time, my uncle was retiring from the paint store, and I thought, well, this was my opportunity, so, um, so I jumped in, and not in the secretary position. <laughs> Thank God, right? <laughs> so I jumped in with them and never looked back. And it's, it's wow. been quite a journey.
0: So did you have to kind of learn the paint business at that point in time, or had you kind of worked in it growing up?
1: No, I never worked in it. Um, okay. So I learned it um, from, from the start, and it was a, there was a big learning curve. There was a lot to learn.
0: Uh-huh. But
1: I think the experience that I had after college was invaluable,
2: Um, Mm -hmm. I'm
1: so glad that I didn't come directly here. Oh, okay. I think I learned a lot um, just about business in general and got to see how other people run their business. And uh, I think that was a great experience for me, and I'm so glad that I did that Um, because when I came here, I I knew a lot of – I had a good business background. Mm -hmm. I learned the products, of course. Right. right. And there's a lot to learn in that regard, but I felt like I had a good, strong business foundation.
0: Well, the good thing is, you know, the work you did with the franchisees and the people that were just getting started in businesses – you got to see them at a time whenever most people would not be around, you know, that most people wouldn't know them. You you probably saw a lot of the emotional side and the ups and downs of getting started and is this going to work and can we do this? And, you know, you see more to it than just a storefront opened up and now the doors are open and, you know, I think it gives you a unique perspective to see what people go through.
1: I I agree. It gives you a very realistic perspective. Um, Yeah. (laughs) People on the outside Always think, oh, they own their own business. It's they see all the the good, glamorous things. Mm-hmm,
2: and mm-hmm.
1: working with the startups, I saw, you know, you're like like you said, I saw the fear. Mm-hmm. I saw the many late nights. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was working aside many of them. You know, I, I when we were doing openings, I mean, I would put in twenty hours in a day. Wow. And uh, but that's but that's what it's like when you own your own company. It is, yeah. And,
0: you know, you, you don't even get to the point where, you know, you just automatically assume as a consumer, oh, somebody has enough money to open their own business. They must have tons of money. And you realize whenever you see what you saw that everyone's on a budget, everyone's doing everything they can with a shoestring, and there's not the deep pockets that a corporate level business would have. Oh,
1: absolutely. You're Changes
0: last, your perspective.
1: <laughs> you're, you are know, the last one to get the paycheck, and mm-hmm. if there's money there to give you the paycheck, and, uh, right. Yeah, so that was that. In that sense, it was very realistic. Um, and and, and growing up in that too, I kind of had a, a sense of that
0: as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I have found so many business owners that I talk to are their parents were business owners and it doesn't necessarily mean that they have gone in and um, you know taken over their family business or anything but by learning and seeing what their families did as a business um, it really it made them fearless almost of going in and repeating that you know so I think being exposed to that business environment early on in your home is invaluable later
1: on so I agree a hundred percent and I think that's probably why I had It was so natural for me Mm -hmm. um, to be an entrepreneur, and and I'm sure that's why, just growing up in the business. And and now, you know, one of my own children, my oldest son, he's 14, I mean, he's he's already said he wants to have his own business.
0: Oh, that's great to see. Yeah,
1: and you know, whether he wants to come here, which would be great, or if he doesn't, that's fine too, but it's Mm -hmm. it's just neat that he's already open to that. And and already on his level, he, he does little things to make money and Um, it's really fun to see on that on that scale I love
0: that whenever the entrepreneurial type parents are teaching the kids um, to do things you know I was um, several months ago I had interviewed Heidi Troll who is a a owner of a local restaurant here she's kind of come down through Emeralds uh, kitchens and that sort of thing but she owned a place here in South Carolina and I went out to have dinner at her place and she was talking about her little nine-year-old son and how he has a booth at the farmers market every summer, and he sells homemade lemonades and they put blueberry and strawberry purees in it and this, that, and the other. And then she got to saying, but he has to give me fifteen percent off the top for the cut to cover the cost of his goods. And whoever the owner, uh, the adult is that takes him and stays with him at the farmers market, he has to pay them ten dollars an hour. And then anything left over that he gets to keep it. And, you know, his booth rental and that sort of thing. And I thought, that is a fantastic way to teach kids about money. Yeah. You know, you you see it. And and the kids realize that, you know, when you get a dollar or you earn a dollar, it's not all of your dollar. <laughs> <laughs> it's not all yours to keep anymore. So oh, that's, that, yeah,
2: that's I love that.
0: Yeah, I love that you're teaching your son uh, and that he's. Getting into the habit of earning, you know, because that's something that um, I think is on a, a whole generation level we've lost a lot of that. Yeah. So I think so too. I think we we may have skipped a generation or two. And we did. <laughs> we did. Going Maybe.
2: Back to that.
0: Maybe we're re- rebalancing. I think that might be what we're doing right now, but I love to see that, so that's great. Now, even though you grew up in an entrepreneurial-type um, family and all that, it, do you remember the point in time you said something went on with you and said, I want to do this, I want to be an entrepreneur?
1: You know, I don't, um, I don't remember any particular point in time. Uh, uh-huh. I remember a lot of little things that I did Along the way, I remember Mm -hmm. specifically having a toy sale and my older brother brother and sister weren't interested. And I I made, you know, and this was 35 years ago probably, Mm -hmm. and I made like $150. Wow. And my brother and sister were like, what? Wait wait a minute. (laughs) But I was suddenly they were interested, weren't they? they? Were really <laughs> interested. So I was always the same thing as my son. I was always doing little things uh, uh-huh. to get money along the way, creative things uh-huh. um, to get money along the way. And um, so I don't ever remember a particular point in time that it, a little light bulb went off. Mm-hmm. It, it was, you just always had it. Yeah, I think it was just always something I I thought that I would do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, whenever you finally did take over the business or go out and and say this is this is my opportunity now I'm going to have my own business did you have any fears or were you one of those fearless because it had always been right in front of your eyes and you knew you knew the worst possible scenario wasn't that bad i think a
1: There was fearlessness because of how I grew up and also Mm -hmm. I came at a very young age where you still have the confidence of the world and you're on top of the world and, you know, you're going to go tackle it. Um, Uh it, At my age now, I would have so much fear it would be and I would probably never do it. So thank goodness I did it when I did.
0: You know, that's. The, I was going to say, some of the time. Sometimes we do things like that. We're allowed to do them at a young age before we know any better, and that, that <laughs> that's better,
1: a blessing. Before we have children, so we don't responsibility. Yeah, we're yeah. responsible for ourselves, and yes. you know at a young age that that's. You know, it was before I owned a home. It was before mm-hmm. I had children. So I, right. I could survive on on very little. Absolutely. Um, probably my biggest fear was was the big statistic that was out there that. The third, with third-generation businesses, only, there's only a 10% success rate.
0: Oh, really? I have not heard that yes. statistic. Really? So I Unbelievable. i
1: that statistic um, created some fear. But on the other hand, right. that statistic was also a great awareness to have mm-hmm. and because it caused me to really step back and say, well, why is that? Uh-huh. You know, what happens by the time that third generation came along? And I find, right. at least my philosophy on it is, when I joined the family business, uh-huh. my dad was traveling at his, you know, at his convenience. He was
2: uh-huh. taking a
1: day off to play golf once a week. Um, he was doing a lot of things that he wanted to do. Uh-huh. And, and I grew up seeing that. So I think by the time the third generation comes in, they come in and they want that right away. I gotcha. And as tempting as that was, um, I realized, you know, he he worked 50 years. Right, yeah. Before he got to that point.
0: (laughs) Right. Well, it's. You know, the same thing we see with, you know, kids getting out of college you can't expect to have the same type of, you know, houses and cars that their parents do exactly. because they've got 30 more years of experience and everything else under their belt. And you can't just come out having that all from the beginning. Right. So that is interesting. I had not heard that statistic about the third generation businesses only having a 10 percent chance of survival. I think I tend to hear the ones about, you know, businesses, uh, startup businesses only making you know, if they survive only so many So much percentage of them survived to three years and five years and, you know, beyond that. And um, it is amazing that you could have the weight of that third generation and then just let it all go. Because I would think there would be a lot of family pressure as well, you know, to hold up the family name and the family business. And by that time, you might have employees that have been working with you for 20, 30, 40 years.
1: And there's there's a lot. There is pressure. to keep the business going, but I think mm-hmm. that's pressure that I put on myself. Yeah. I certainly don't feel that from my siblings. <laughs> okay. Well, that's nice. good, though. <laughs> yeah, which is good. Um, you know, I think they would be sad if anything were ever to happen, but uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't feel pressure from them, which, which is nice
0: yeah definitely. Now, as you kind of navigated your way back into taking over the family business, did you have any sort of business coach or mentors that sort of helped guide you through that process?
1: You know, I had um several of course, being my father uh, uh-huh who was probably the biggest um, and we he has since retired, but we had the um, pleasure of working together for probably you know probably ten to fifteen years. Wow, okay. Sure. Retired. Um, And probably another, we are members of an independent buying group, um, Mm -hmm. independent paint stores throughout the United States. Oh, okay. And um, we have formed our own company, and together as a group, it allows us to be competitive with the big national chains. Um, Wow. That is, is a single owner as a single store owner i wouldn't have the buying power to compete sure. with national chains but as a group of these independents i think we have 15 over 1500 storefronts we can oh, wow. uh, negotiate some good deals and buying power through the group so i have mm-hmm. many mentors through that group and it's a wonder they're business store owners in different cities mhm and they've been one just a wonderful wonderful group to be a part of um, and within that group, there is a owner of a um, of a paint store here locally. Mm-hmm. I guess you know, on the books, we'd be competitors, but right. really not. And he has been um, so supportive of me, and just a really good mentor and a good example of how to run a successful business. Um, and I. I look up to him very much so and he's he's been a great example to follow.
0: That's great whenever you can be seen more as collaborators than competitors, right. <laughs> you know, I think I think we need more of that in business and I think that's again something that we got away from with all the big, you know, corporate push for profits and profits above anything else and think now there's a pushback toward relationships and being being more collaborative in the work environment. But I also wanted to ask you one thing about the independent buying group that you said you have. Is that a common thing in a lot of industries or is that just unique to what the paint business that you're in?
1: Um, I, I don't know if I could answer that question completely. Uh, mm-hmm. I have heard in other industries um, I'm not sure to what degree, but I have heard, yes, I have heard some, and certainly in the hardware industry, mm-hmm. and, and so I think it is fairly common. Okay. Um, but there might
0: be some, some industries out there that that aren't leveraging that sort of thing, and I guess to get started with that, you would just have to have a very, Um, motivated business owner that that would want to get something like that started and then approach the distributors or or whoever and get that going.
1: Oh and it's been huge and I I firmly believe um, that without that we wouldn't we
0: wouldn't be here today. Right. Well, you know, I just think if there are other business owners that are on their own, you know, local independent business owners that are not being able to benefit from that sort of thing within their industry, um, that could definitely be a key to changing the game if they could get something like that started. So that's, that's excellent, excellent advice. Now, you are in a male-dominated <laughs> industry. Um I guess I don't know if that's a bad thing to say or not. It just it, it just seems to be that that tends to be in the construction, the painting, the hardware. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of women popping their heads up. And so, um what challenges challenges have you faced in particular just in regard to trying to adapt to a man's world?
1: Well, um there's couple challenges, and and I think when I first came, um, there was a challenge with, first and foremost, with the employees. Um, Mm. Daddy's little girl was going to come to work, and I did not want that at all, and Mm -hmm. um, I have to laugh because the first day I came to work in a pantsuit thinking I was dressing down. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to do the same thing as the guy said, so I rolled up those pantsuit sleeves and I loaded trucks and stock shelves, and, and my, oh, you know, in my low heels. And that was the last day of that. I took all my suits to consignment and uh, bought, you know, ten pairs of khakis and lots of polo shirts and hiking boots, yes. I've never looked back. The only time I get the suit now is terribly for sadly for a funeral but yeah um, so I think initially with the employees I, I had to improve myself and that was and that was fine and I was uh-huh. willing to do that. Um, and then with the customers we just had a lot of uh, a lot of men and uh-huh. you know it was 20, 30, 20 years ago there was still a lot of um, prejudice I guess going right. on and I mean I, I would have them come and say, let me talk to one of those guys I don't want to talk to a woman. And uh, I didn't care. It was kind of funny. Yeah. And I had to prove myself. And then, you know, the table slowly started to turn. Mm-hmm. And my dad would laugh because then they wouldn't even want to talk to him. They'd come in the door, let me talk to that's him. Cool. And then that's when I knew, you know, times have changed. Because right. then they would, you know, kind of walk past, walk past the guys and come directly to me. Um, yeah. And I, it's funny, I still have people call. Um, who don't know me and they want to talk to one of the guys. And, or, you know, if people are new, they might walk in the door and, and I, I still get a kick out of that, which I don't mind. I've never <laughs> taken offense to it, I, I've always thought it was kind of funny.
0: Well, I guess you probably feel like on, on, sometimes it's a challenge to win over those toughest customers that are most um, most loyal to your dad, or that he's well, he's been helping me for twenty years and he knows what I need, and you know that kind of thing. To finally have them come to you, I'm sure you probably feel like yes, I got it. You know, <laughs> the challenge for the day has yes. been conquered. So, great satisfaction. Now, as far as Things that you've learned. We don't. We don't want to take a lot of time and focus on the negative. But I know you've probably had some failures along the way as a business owner. And are there any of them that you can think of that we could share with other people that
1: might be a lesson they could learn from? Well, probably the you know. I mean, really, um, fortunately, knock on wood, we haven't had any huge, huge failures that we couldn't overcome. Mm-hmm. Um, and. So thinking about that question, maybe just some different product lines that we took on that didn't sell. Um, oh, that's really a good thought. Consider that a failure because mm-hmm. you're trying to grow your sales, and you don't know if you don't try. And we've also mm-hmm. had new product lines that we've taken on that have been extremely successful.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think that's uh, you know to do
0: that. That's more of a, a test and validate you know kind of thing where you put out a new product line, maybe you don't invest uh, everything in it, right. <laughs> you know, um, and, and you have to be careful with your inventory and that sort of thing. But, you know, I, I do think I hear other business owners talk about that the thing sometimes that they think is going to be the biggest hit with the customers just completely flops. And then the thing that they are like, well, we'll we'll try it, but I don't know if anybody's going to like that, turns out to be the
1: biggest success. Yep. It, do you find that, too? Oh, I do. And it, it is so funny how that how that works um but there's i'd say 90 percent of the things that i thought would be super successful haven't been Mm -hmm. and the Mm -hmm. the things that i haven't thought of have happened so exactly like you said and i think it's so important to have the diversification um and i think that's one of the things that's helped us helped us grow um Mm -hmm. in this economy well, and I was
0: going to say, it does It does probably make you at some point in time question yourself, too, because you think, how could I be so out of touch with my customers? I thought I knew that everyone would love this. And all of a sudden, you're like, okay, we've got some inventory to mark down and get it out of here and never go there again. So I completely understand that. Now, as you've been trying to grow your business and trying to um, transition from the old previous generation to your ownership – what resources within your community have been the most helpful for you?
1: Well, probably the strongest thing has been having an outside sales force.
0: So, Okay. Out- Talk about that for us to kind of explain what that is um, or how it looks for you.
1: Just having a, um, having people within your store or having employees that actually go outside of the store to call on customers. So they go outside to reach new customers and and current customers. They go out on jobs. Um, So that's been a way that we've gotten new sales and new customers. Um, And then another resource, not necessarily within my community, but within the entrepreneurial community has been Uh the independent buying group that we're in. That's just been a huge, huge resource for us. Those are so within that buying group we um, so we have formed our own company and you buy into it so we actually em- employ um, called a business development team and they actually go negotiate deals with vendors oh okay on the behalf of the of the members of the group members mm-hmm. so that has been um, you know that that has been such a good resource for us. Now, do those negotiating
0: teams are they is that like their full time job to go out and negotiate deals, or is that are they also employees of these other businesses no, within their the group? Job. Wow. Okay. So they go
1: out and they negotiate deals with vendors, but they also visit the stores. Um, mm-hmm. which is great because then they share with store owners what's been successful in other areas. So they try ah. a couple times a year, and they'll come in and, and say, um, oh, gosh, you know, you're doing this. This is really neat. Tell me what you're doing. I want to share this mm-hmm. with the group. And, yeah. And then they'll also say, hey, you know, Joe over here at so-and-so is doing this, and he's had a, a great success with it. Maybe you should try it here at your store. It's been a great way for them to share ideas with everybody. I mean, we're all in the same industry, so what better Mm -hmm. way to get ideas, industry ideas, um, than with these people who are traveling and actually seeing
2: firsthand
1: Mm -hmm. what other stores are,
0: are doing directly. Well, and that's also something that you, as a business owner, would not necessarily have the time or the resources to do is go out and visit you know all around the competitors, so to speak, right. and talk to them and pick their brain and see what's working so it's great that that's not only the role of the negotiating teams to negotiate um better deals but also to share ideas and to to kind of give anyone that needs a leg up a little bit of uh you know what's working for somebody else because there's no harm in trying it. I mean, if it worked in the same industry somewhere else in a different community, what do you have to lose by trying it?
1: Exactly. And and sadly, within our city limits, the competitors that we're visiting are usually the big boxes or the large chain stores. And uh-huh. you know, they do things completely different from purchasing to advertising. <clears throat> um, so it's very, very different. So it's yeah. nice, to, nice to have the independent side
2: mm-hmm. of mm-hmm.
0: so yeah you know at least you're comparing apples to apples and not trying to take your business model and borrow something from a completely different business model that has different infrastructure right. and different advertising to support it and all that kind of thing right. So now as far as marketing and advertising and that sort of thing what strategies are you guys using right now that work the best for you well that's that's something we always struggle with. Uh, you and every other business owner I've talked to, so don't feel like you're out there by yourself. So
1: what what works that you can afford? Um, mm-hmm. We've tried many different things, and probably the biggest thing. Um, I mean, we we do some direct mail. It's not wildly successful. Um, of course, word of mouth is always the best marketing. Right. Us. But we've kind of focused a lot of our attentions um, more on social media. Okay. And, I mean, I think that's something that we can afford. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm looking to get a college intern that can come in that certainly knows a lot more about it than me. Um, uh-huh. I yeah. <laughs> I you know. It takes, it takes uh, knowledge and it takes a lot of time um, to, to do it and to do it correctly and uh-huh. keep on top of it, neither of which I have. So I'm going to try to hire a college intern this summer. Somebody mm-hmm. who can kind of handle that and, and somebody who's on top of it knows a lot more about it than I do.
0: Well, and I was going to say, it seems like you're using, right now, you're using um, Facebook and that sort of thing for a lot of education for your customers. Is that kind of mainly what you, what you focus on with that?
1: We do, the education. Um, we also try to have fun with it. Mm-hmm. So we're on Facebook and we have Instagram um and those, so we do, we, tr- we definitely try to educate and um, talk about different products and different ideas and um, but we try to make it fun at the same time. Yeah, to keep it interesting.
0: Absolutely. And I, you know, I also see on your Facebook particularly, um, a lot of um, trying to educate people about the importance of buying local, which I think, mm-hmm. If every small business did that, you know, it can't hurt to have a post like that, you know, every day or so just to put the word out there to not just help your business but every other business. And maybe at some point in time that awareness will just be so pervasive that people will begin being much more conscious consumers.
1: Yes, and I think fortunately also, um, I think the, the next generation, the young 20s, Mm-hmm. They seem to be very into supporting the local business. Mm-hmm. Because I think we missed it with, with my generation. Right. My yeah. Generation will go to the the big box stores and a drop of a yes. Um, right. But I'm seeing this younger generation really, really, really wanting to work with um, local stores and if it's mm-hmm. to support the independent and keep it all local. And that's so nice to see. And, like you say, be very relationship-focused, and there's just so many advantages and benefits. And, you know, I love getting to know my customers and Uh getting to know what they're doing in their homes and talking to them about their homes and their colors and helping them. And, you know, it's not unusual. We go over to people's houses all the time and help them with stuff.
0: Uh That's great, and you can't get that at a big box store for sure yeah. and, and this
1: is the age this this group of the in the twenties it's all about the social media, so we're really trying to focus on that as our marketing strategy
0: well, and I think you know the whole like you said the the new generation that's come along has um, grown up with a social consciousness that that we didn't have, you know, with the big, like in my generation growing up, it was all big corporations. We didn't care who polluted what as long as you could, you know, output was king and, you know, that sort of thing. And so I think now we've seen a turn where people are wanting local, wanting to be socially conscious, and – you know, there's the whole share economy, and there's just a lot that's that's come that's kind of a different paradigm than we grew up with. So I love that and the benefit that it'll have to local businesses. So, Anne, what, for your company right now, what performance metrics or key indicators do you measure for your business, and why do you feel like those metrics are important?
1: Well, probably the most important things that, that I keep are um, the different Well, and again, going back to our buying group, we um, they do surveys and publish the results of those surveys, and just being able to see how your store is doing um, in relation to other stores in your industry. Of course, Uh with your accounting, um, you know all your accounting reports, you can see how your individual business is doing and performing. But it's nice to have your industry. your industry statistics as well, which I get through this independent buying group.
0: So Mm -hmm.
1: that's a lot of what I, kind of where I measure my business.
0: Did your industry take a big hit during the recession or immediately after that with all the changes with, you know, building just and new construction dropping off the face of the earth, it seemed like? Sadly, yeah,
1: sadly it did. Um, It did, and we're just now... It's, the past couple of years have been a roller coaster, so we'll have uh-huh. you know great months that with large increases and then we go uh-huh. down so it's been but I am starting to see um i think things on the uprise, and I'm very hopeful we had a great year uh-huh. eleven um two thousand and twelve was good, and then we're we're seeing two thousand thirteen off to a good start too so good good we're you know very hopeful but it it did it got very scary. Um, for a couple of years. And that's well, probably when I had my biggest fear. <laughs> <laughs>
0: biggest fears of starting out came 20 years afterwards, yeah. right? Well, well, the, you know, the good thing is, is that when you look back on that um, Great Recession that we just went through, I mean, statistically, uh, you know, that might not happen again in our lifetime. So <laughs> the worst is behind us. So <laughs> hopefully it'll be all downhill from here. So that would be great. Now, we always hear, you know, growing up and everything, that hindsight's 2020, 20, and we can always see things more clearly whenever we have a chance to turn around and look back. So um, is there anything that in looking back over your career and looking back over um, taking over your family business that you can say, I know this now, but what a difference it could have been if I knew it back then when I started out?
1: Well, I think – the main lesson I've learned has probably been don't be afraid to make a decision quickly. Mm. Um, And I think that some of the large companies have not survived because they're so corporate and their decisions have to go through so many levels Right. um, that I think one of the reasons we've survived as long is because we can make a decision immediately.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: um, And, Our our business can reflect that immediately. We don't have to wait six months or nine months or a year to to make a decision that will impact our business. We make it very quickly, and um, don't be afraid to do that because the bottom line is the success of your business. And Mm -hmm. um, I, I feel, I strongly feel that the independents that have survived over this recession because we've all just tightened our belts and running so lean and mean when the economy rebounds, I feel like we'll be, at least I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll all be very successful, um, as a result because we've all had to alter our businesses dramatically, uh, wow. to last through this, but I think it will only, um, and the end result I think will be a, a very profitable company, um, that is running very, yeah, lean and mean.
0: Mm-hmm. Very efficient. I was going to say, you know,
1: productivity and
0: all that at the national level had to had to really increase once the recession hit. But you know, you make a good point about um, the differences between the big box stores not having the ability to to make ch- market, you know, adjust to market changes really quickly. Um, and, and I think a lot of business owners might not even view that as a competitive advantage, but you're exactly right. It is because when you can make a decision and you can you know, take a sharp right turn one day and say, you know what, we have nothing to lose, but let's try this. We can always reverse course if we see it going off the rails, but we have nothing to lose. Make the change. Go for it. And many times you've probably found it's it's a completely different outcome than you would have thought, and a great one. Yeah. You know.
1: Yeah, and and I feel, you know, sometimes it's just as simple as is to taking on a new line, or mm-hmm. to dropping a line. Um, but it's it's, you know, like when dropping a line, it can affect your bottom line greatly. And, oh yeah. Um, or, or to take in on a new one. E- either way, it can it affects your bottom line. But just, and, and you know whether it's to hire an employee or mm-hmm. not replace an employee, just just being able to make that decision on the spot um, can make a can make a big difference.
0: Absolutely. Well, that's definitely good advice. Now, Anne, one of the things we like to provide for our listeners because um, we have some that would very much like to be local business owners and they haven't yet been able to take the plunge or, you know, to step into the water of local business ownership yet. But I always like to ask local business owners if there is a particular hole in the market that you have found. In other words, are there products and or services in your local area that you would love to source locally, but you just can't find them available? You know,
1: um, I Louisville has an extremely active Independent Business Association. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's very active and I have been very supportive of each other. So I really, um, I know this isn't helping your listeners who are looking for so such
2: <laughs>
1: because I have been able to find everything I want and, and maybe I'm just so in tune to supporting the local that I mm-hmm. really make an effort to, to look for it.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: but it, I think if they're, I, yeah, I don't really, can't suggest any sort of mm-hmm. that I feel a need for. Um, okay. I do know that there's a lot of cities that are starting, um, like, co-op or shared uh-huh. office space. Um, oh, yeah. you can rent, And I think that's a great way to get to know entrepreneurs mm-hmm. um, and to get to work with them, um, just having the shared office space. Absolutely. You can get to know them firsthand and, and see what their needs are in their market. And right. there's a lot of um, entrepreneur, at least in Louisville, there's a lot of entrepreneurial uh, coffees and happy hours and meetings mm-hmm. they are open to the public where they have entrepreneurs speak and, and just different happy hours. It's a great way to get to know people and um, get to know what's going on in your area.
0: Yeah, and it definitely, you know, the, the local business climate, does vary greatly from city to city and it's just You know, sometimes if instead of saying, you know, I live in a place where they don't have a real active local business community, there might need to be a few business owners that step up and say, we're going to form a group and we're going to, you know, take this bull by the horns and we're going to create the environment that we would love to, that we would love to help other local businesses survive and thrive. And so um, I think you're lucky that in a big city like Louisville, you do have more resources and more, um, more of that entrepreneurial vibe than a lot of places where it might not be as as alive and well. So, um, it's good, it's definitely good advice to hear it from uh, different parts of the country and see what's available and that sort of thing. So, um,
1: at this point, what do you think is next
0: for your business? Where are you going?
1: You know, we want to just continue to grow um, and focus so we're continuing, always looking for new areas, Um, Mm -hmm. always trying to diversify. So we're trying not just in, – in addition to paint, um, we're just trying to concentrate on little niche markets, um, mm-hmm. trying to grow in those areas. It's very mm-hmm. hard um, with paint to compete with your Sherwin-Williams of the world. Right. <laughs> so you have little niche areas, and, and one of those areas that we do a lot in is um, with lacquers. Uh huh. Within the woodworking industry. and Oh, okay. Those are both two niche markets that we concentrate on. Um, and they've been a, a great area of growth for us. So we continue to, um, grow in those areas and look for new niche opportunities.
0: Interesting. And do those niches, um, do they kind of come about naturally when you discover them or do you, do you, already have an awareness that they're out there and you think, oh, man, we should get into that. Yeah, we have How does that.
1: yeah, we have an awareness and try to grow in that area. So, again, that's where my outside sales force comes in handy. Uh, uh-huh. But it does take a, a financial commitment um, for the inventory. Uh-huh. I don't think I could do it without an outside sales force. Um,
0: Interesting.
1: Getting out and calling on those new customers and seeing what products they're using, what products we need to stock. Uh, Prices we you know where the price levels we need to be right Um, and and our vendors help with that as well Um, but I think those little niche markets is a, a great opportunity for us to grow and then also to differentiate ourselves in
0: oh sure I can I can imagine having those outside sales reps come back with that feedback and we need to get this or people are looking for this and people are looking for that is. Probably one of the most valuable resources you have as a business owner. I mean, that's your eyes and ears on the in the community, and, isn't it?
1: And it's a lot. You know, they're little niche markets, and sometimes they're smaller niches that the larger corporations aren't interested in. Absolutely. But to my business, it can it can add up to be a substantial amount. And yeah. Some of them are also businesses that require a lot of education. Uh huh. The some of the big boxes and larger corporations don't have the level to provide that to their customers.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And mm-hmm. that's one of the advantages that being a, a small independent, and, and one of the reasons that customers come here is for the education. Because we, wow. we can tell them about the products that we have. And I, I, I can't tell you how many times I'll have people call me with a problem they're having. And <laughs> my first question is well, did you buy the product here? Mm-hmm. Oh, no. uh-huh. I'll tell you about those products. You need to call the company where you bought it. Yeah. I did, and they can't. Of <laughs> oh,
0: and, of course, we're, you know, we know we're
1: talking about the big boxes. Uh uh-huh. Exactly.
0: No, I've had the same experience. I remodeled the bathroom not too long ago, and scraped off the popcorn ceiling and something went wrong whenever we repainted so it was you know it's like you make one mistake and it turns into a five-day disaster recovery project so it definitely would help to have uh local stores and and local knowledgeable people that you can actually talk to and say what in the world have I done to screw this up because I'm one that can't do a project without going back and forth to the store two or three times so you might be able to save me some of the uh, some of the trips back and forth. Yeah. So interesting. Now, what is the favorite tool that you have in the day to day running of your business?
1: Well, my iPhone is a wonderful tool. Okay, just being able and, and my computer. I hate to be so generic in my answer. Mm-hmm. Um, and and having remote access to that. But it's um, my iPhone allows me. To work from wherever I am, which is uh-huh. good and a bad thing, of course, because it <laughs> yeah, it's <course>. double-edged sword. <laughs> so exactly, try to find that balance. But I am, um, as a mother of three children, um, I don't think that I could. Yeah, it's it's nice to be able to to have that access and mm-hmm. ability, and when I'm not here at the store, kind of being able to stay
0: in touch, but still kind of being out of touch, right. out of reach, maybe and <laughs> That of excellent. Now, as a parting piece of wisdom, um, can you share anything like your, the main thing you've learned as a business owner to um, that might help other people?
1: Well, I think diversification has been a key, um, mm-hmm. and I think that can apply to any business. Um, and not to have the false expectation of immediate wealth <laughs> um, and to understand. No one would think that, would they? No. Um, to have resiliency. I mean, know that you're going to have good and bad times and mm-hmm. to plan for the bad times mm-hmm. um, because that's key. And I don't. my father retired right when the recession began.
0: Oh, and wow. And
1: all of a sudden I was like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Um, Come back for a minute, wait, Dad. Wait, wait a minute breaks on, but going back to, to being able to make decisions quickly, I mean, hmm. I immediately realized that we needed to change the way he's run the business for 40 years.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean,
1: immediately needed to change. Wow. Um, and fortunately, we were able to do that. I mean, from from inventory to, I mean, everything changed.
0: Mm-hmm. Um but that probably scared you to death, too, because, I mean, if you're like me, it's like too much cha- – I mean, I, I, I can adapt to change, but too much change, I just think, oh, my gosh, if I bitten off more than I can chew? And to have your dad leaving and then immediately have the recession hit and then, boom, you have to make all these business decisions changing just for survival, I can imagine that was quite overwhelming.
1: It was. It was really scary. <laughs> <laughs> and, and But, you know, there was – it was nothing else you could really do. I mean, if you wanted right. to survive, you had to do it, and it was so yeah. crazy. It was, it was just you, just did it and went on, and um, and, and don't look back. You know, that,
0: yeah, that's by that time
1: I was too deep into it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, in that at that point in time, you invest too much in the changes to uh, just to walk away from them. So I can completely imagine you had to be committed to it. So now you have been extremely generous in sharing your time and your expertise and all of your lessons learned from the experiences and that sort of thing that you've had as a business owner. So I wanted to give you an opportunity to promote anything um, that you wanted to within your business to our listeners.
1: Well, we have a new product um, that we've actually helped develop that neutralizes lead hazards. Oh, okay. In our industry, the paint industry, there have um, many, many years where we manufactured and sold lead based paint. Mm-hmm. Generations now are unfortunately suffering Did the consequences yeah. of that. And they're extremely, extremely hazardous and harmful to um, children and adults. And mm-hmm. all that lead based paint is deteriorating and it's out there to um, harm humans. Mm hmm. So, we Mm -hmm. have a product that actually neutralizes those hazards in in soil um, that we're very excited about. And we've helped develop it, and we're now getting that out there to the public. Um, And we're in about, we're probably in about 50 different independent paint stores throughout the United States. Wow. Um, So, we're excited about that. And and part of that, part of my. incentive to get into that was to help right some of the wrong that our industry has done ah yeah and when people are remodeling and renovating those are still hazards and mm-hmm. a way to deal with that safely um, and and does
0: does the product actually is it just something you put over top of what's already there rather than trying to remove the hazardous lead paint
1: well it's actually a product that um, you can treat the hazardous paint in place. So, okay. if, it's, um, if it's not being disturbed, if the lead is not being disturbed, and if it's, in, it's intact, peeling mm-hmm. or chipping, or there's no friction areas, then it's not a hazard. But once mm-hmm. it starts to deteriorate, or you start to disturb it through remodeling or any renovations, then it becomes a hazard. Uh, very, okay, you know, a very bad hazard. Right. So, it's, so, and it's a can you give us the Okay. Can you give
0: us the name of the product line, and that way we'll link up to it in the show notes?
1: Sure. It's called Lock Up Lead.
0: Lock Up Lead. Okay. Well, I'll make sure I have a link to that, because I know anybody that's uh, going through any type of renovations, especially when you're talking about, you know, houses from a certain date range and buildings from a certain date range, almost exclusively you're probably going to be dealing with lead paint. And so um, we'll definitely put the word out there about that, because that's if you're available in, you know, places all over the country, you can... Probably someone can get access to it if they needed to. So, now the other thing I wanted to do in our show notes is give um, people the places that they can find you online. So, I know you've got your website, right? Right, dot com and I'll link up to that. And then you're also on Facebook. Facebook, and then also on Instagram. On Instagram. And what is your handle on Instagram?
2: Just
0: they just paint okay I'll link up to all of those so that people can have access and um, at the same time I'm sure that if people had questions or um, anything like that that concerned them they could uh, probably reach out to you in any of those places and try to contact you and see um, if you, uh, you can give them the answers they need so um, we'll definitely do that but and I can't thank you enough for the time you have spent with us I know you're a very busy uh, the company owner and mother and you've got all these things going on in your life and to take time out of your day to talk to us and share your experiences just for the sake of helping uh, get the word out and helping other business owners. I can't thank you enough. It's been an absolute honor. Well, thank you. Me too. Localist, I need your help. If you've appreciated this podcast today, I need you to go to iTunes, leave a rating, leave a review, tell us what you think about the podcast. It is so important for us to expand our reach to be able to have those iTunes ratings and reviews. That way, other people can find us much easier whenever they're looking for things about local brick and mortar businesses. So go to iTunes, leave us a review, leave us a rating. You cannot imagine how important it is to us. You can find show notes to everything we discussed in this podcast on our website. So go there. It's www.brickandmortarreporter.com. You can see all the links to anything we discussed. And also you can leave us any comments or any questions that you have. It's the best way to get in touch with us. Thank you for listening to the Brick and Mortar Reporter Podcast, where we build businesses all day long with no permits. Remember, local businesses are the backbone of our economy. So, whenever you have the opportunity, choose local.